Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Today we're going to be reading from Leviticus 16. So if you want to open that up, it's also going to appear behind me. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of two of Aaron's sons when they approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he may not come whenever he wants into the holy place, behind the veil in front of the mercy seat, on the ark, or else he will die, because I appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Aaron is to enter the most holy place in this way, with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to wear a holy linen tunic, and linen undergarments are to be on his body. He must tie a linen sash around him and wrap his head with a linen turban. These are holy garments. He must bathe his body with water before he wears them. He is to take from the Israelite community two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron will present the bull for his sin offering and make atonement for himself and his household. Next, he will take the two goats and place them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. After Aaron casts lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for Azazel, he is to present the goat chosen by lot for the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot for Azazel is to be presented alive before the Lord to make purification with it by sending it into the wilderness for Azazel. When Aaron presents the bull for his sin offering and makes atonement for himself and his household, he will slaughter the bull for his sin offering. Then he must take a firepan full of fiery coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and bring them inside the veil. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord so that the cloud of incense covers the mercy seat that is over the testimony, or else he will die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and sprinkle it with his finger against the east side of the mercy seat. Then he will sprinkle some of the blood with his finger before the mercy seat seven times. When he slaughters the male goat for the people's sins, sin offerings and brings its blood inside the veil, he must do the same with its blood as he did with the bull's blood. He is to sprinkle it against the mercy seat and in front of it. He will purify the most holy place in this way for all their sins because of the Israelites' impurities and rebellious acts. He will do the same for the tent of meeting that remains among them because it is surrounded by their impurities. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the most holy place until he leaves after he has made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole assembly of Israel. Then he will go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He is to take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns on all sides of the altar. He is to sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse and set it apart from the Israelites' impurities. When he has finished purifying the most holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar, he is to present the live male goat. Aaron will lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the Israelites' wrongdoings and rebellious acts, all their sins. He is to put them on the goat's head and send it away into the wilderness by the man appointed for the task. 
the goat will carry on it all their wrongdoings into a desolate land, and he will release it there. Then Aaron is to enter the tent of meeting, take off the linen garments he wore when he entered the most holy place, and leave them there. He will bathe his body with water in a holy place and put on his clothes. Then he must go out and sacrifice his burnt offering and the other and the people's burnt offering. He will make atonement for himself and for the people. He is to burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who released the goat for Azazel is to wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. Afterward, he may re-enter the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be brought outside the camp and their hide, flesh and dung burned up. The one who burns them is to wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may re-enter the camp. This is to be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you are to practice self-denial and do no work, both the native and the foreigner who resides among you. Atonement will be made for you on this day to cleanse you, and you will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of complete rest for you, and you must practice self-denial. It is a permanent statute. The priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as high priest in place of his father will make atonement. He will put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and purify the most holy place. He will purify the tent of meeting and the altar, and will make atonement for the priests and all the people of the assembly. This is to be a permanent statute for you, to make atonement for the Israelites once a year because of all their sins. And all this was done as the Lord commanded Moses. It's great to be here sharing with you from Leviticus 16. It's great to be speaking to you today is my daughter Hattie's sixth birthday today. Oh, cute little Hattie turning six today. Uh, if you don't know me, you know my family. I actually have three young girls. I have Lucy, who's eight, Hattie, who's six, and little Winnie, who's four. Uh, love my girls. I think they're great. I love hanging out with them. Love watching good kids' movies, sometimes with them, sometimes without. You know, good kids' movie is a good kids' movie, right? And there's a lot of bad kids' movies out there, that's for sure. But maybe you, like me, enjoy a good kids' movie. And what I've found is that a good kids' movie is one that has jokes and references in it for the adults, right? You know, like it's it's there just for you. There's something that's mentioned, a joke, that's a cultural reference, and it's going to go way over the kid's head. They've got no idea because it's too old for them. And you go, that was for me, and I appreciate that. That was good. Thank you. And there's just, I mean, they might love the movie, they might even memorize it and commit it to memory word for word or love all the songs. It's great, but there's just things that they don't quite fully understand, you know, they, they just don't have that background knowledge or information. And, th and that's true for so much when it comes to my kids as well. Just this, this week, I think it was Thursday, I was helping Lucy get ready for school and I said, I'll, I'll brush your hair. And she said, great, I'll put my shoes on while you, you brush my hair. And I was like, great, perfect. Kill two birds with one stone. Good job. And she looked at me horrified. Couldn't believe I would suggest that we would kill not just one bird, but two birds in an efficient manner. 
It was horrifying. She had no context, no understanding, no awareness of what this expression meant. And, and, you know, sometimes there are things that just don't quite connect because you're just missing that background knowledge, that background information. And today we're going to continue our series in the book of Leviticus and we're going to unpack this often skipped over book. Lots of rules and regulations and things that might seem outdated or irrelevant to us, you know, people in our modern times, people this side of, of Jesus as well. But just like the kids' movies that have so much more depth and layers to them that kids just might not get, there's, there's so much here in Leviticus that adds depth and layers about what we understand about God and about Jesus. And in our first talk, we started three weeks ago with an overview of the book of Leviticus. And then last week, we, we continued in our series, chapters 9 and 10. And this week, we're going to follow on today in chapter 16. And as Craig explained in week one, we're going to fill in the gaps as we go along. Uh, but the reason why we're at chapter 16 so early is because this chapter is at the, the center of the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. And... Craig has already explained in our first talk that Leviticus itself, the book of Leviticus, is actually at the center of what's known as the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So we're at the center of the center uh, this week. And the reason why it's at the center and why it's so important is that here we see God providing an answer to this, this problem of his presence. How can an unholy people possibly be in the presence of a holy God? How is that possible? It hasn't been possible for such a long time. And so how is presence going to be made possible? And the beginning of Leviticus starts with God speaking to Moses from the tent of meeting. And then at the end of Leviticus in the start of the next book in Numbers, it starts with God speaking to Moses in the tent of meeting. So we get from the tent of meeting to in the tent of meeting. So how does this happen? How is this presence going to be made possible? And it's all too easy for us just to, you know, pull out the trump card and just say, well, Jesus, move on. We know the answer, right? And if Jesus is the proper answer for us when it comes to bearing the presence of God, well then, you know, what's the point of all this? What does Leviticus have to do with us? Why does it matter what it looked like for Israel? Well, what I want to suggest for us today is that as we look at Leviticus 16, if we pay attention to what's going on and why it's going on, then we'll more fully understand what Jesus did. If we understand and think more about this, this ceremony, this day of atonement, as it's called here in Leviticus 16, then we'll, we'll more fully understand Jesus as the atonement for our sins. And if we take the time to understand this day of atonement properly, then my prayer is that we'll actually grow in our love and appreciation for Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I think that'd be a pretty good thing. How about we pray together now that God will help us do that. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you that in it are words of life and truth. And we pray that you will help us now by your spirit to understand it and that we would also be transformed by it. 
And we pray that this might help grow our love and knowledge of you and of our precious Lord and Saviour, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. As I said before, chapter 16 kind of flows on from what we looked at last week in chapters 9 and 10. Just a brief summary for those people who who missed out uh, on last week. In chapter 9, what happened is Aaron conducted these sacrifices, these offerings, and did them all as the Lord commanded. That was a really important phrase, that he did them as the Lord commanded. And as a result, the Lord blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and then fire came out from the Lord and it consumed the offering that was given to him and the people were stoked. This is great. This is so good. And then chapter 10, Aaron, the high priest, his sons decided to perform a bit of a rogue offering. They, they get an unauthorized fire before the Lord. This was not as the Lord had commanded. And so as a result, fire came out from the Lord and consumed them, and the people were less stoked. And the reason why chapter 16 brings this back up is because God is about to explain to Aaron how he's going to take this one step further, how Aaron is going to get into the most holy place, the place where no one is meant to go. This is the place where God appears in the cloud above what's called the mercy seat, which is just the golden lid on top of the ark. God will appear there and Aaron will be in there too. But he needs to do as the Lord commands, not like his sons, He needs to do as the Lord commands, or as verse 2 says, or else he will die just like his sons. So there's a massively serious warning here in these first verses, but also massive anticipation. I mean, this is it. This is what we've all been waiting for. All of humankind up until this point have been keen to get back into the presence of of God ever since the Garden of Eden, ever since being kicked out of that garden, back in the garden with the Lord, in the temple, just walking around naked with God without any restrictions for just being in his presence, no, no fear of destruction. That's that's where we want to get back to. That's that's what the whole tabernacle with its embroidery around it, looking like the Garden of Eden. That's what it's calling back to, the Garden of Eden being restored, this broken relationship being back the way it was. And as we look at God's instructions, we see just how much sin corrupts everything, just how difficult this is, how how sin ruins everything. But we also see how gracious God is, that, that even though the people have stuffed up time and time again. Even though we're so imperfect and flawed to be even near the presence of God, God is still going to make a way. Because even though his presence is perilous to sinful people, his presence is precious. It's the most precious thing that he can give us. And so here in chapter 16, we see God making a way for that to be possible. 
Now, as we read through these instructions, I thought it'd be helpful for us to have a diagram of the tabernacle up on the screen here because it can get a little confusing. Where are we and who's doing what and where are we going? And so we've got this kind of diagram up there that we can follow along with and the instructions are going to jump around a little bit as well as we go through. The first thing to mention, hopefully you've got Leviticus 16 open in front of you, uh, is that Aaron needs to make preparation. From verse 4, we see Aaron's required to change his, his clothes. But before he puts his new clothes on, we read at the end of verse 4 that he has to wash first, ceremonially washing to make sure he's clean and, and bathing in water. So you can see what I mean by jumping around. The end of verse 4 says he has to wash. And then we see at the start of verse 4, he has to put on these special clothes. And what's so special about these clothes is that they're not special. They're specially set aside as special clothes as not special, to not look special at all. Aaron takes off his fancy-looking threads that he's got as the high priest, looking splendid. He takes off his bling, his gold and jewelry, and takes all this off. He washes, and then he puts on a linen tunic, linen underwear, a linen sash around him. His head is wrapped in a linen cloth, a linen turban as well. And these are just simple clothes like a temple servant. Aaron isn't going into this holy place, into the holy of holies where where God's presence would be in any sense of importance. He's going there as a humble servant, not in his usual dress as this majestic-looking intercessor for God's people, but as a humble servant. So then after he's dressed, we read in verse 6 that he's going to present a young bull for his sin offering, for his own sin offering, and to make atonement for him and his house. And, And we find out more about what that means in verse 11, and it means that Aaron will slaughter the bull for his sin. After having confessed his sins over the young bull, usually done by placing your hands on the head of the animal and your full weight onto it and confessing your sins, then the the bull is killed. Its blood is taken from it. Its life has been taken for the sin of him and his household. And to, to our Western sensibilities, it seems pretty barbaric and yet it continues next if we continue from verse 7 we read about the the being two goats which we're told in verse 5 come from within the israelite community they they bring them to aaron and then aaron takes these two goats before the lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting at the entrance of this this whole Area And they do a kind of name drawing out of a hat kind of thing. There's just two names. There's the two bulls. And one goat is chosen for the Lord to be sacrificed as a sin offering for the people. And one goat is chosen to be sent into the wilderness for Azazel. Now, we're going to come back to that goat later on, and so explain then what this Azazel term means. It's a bit confusing. But first from verse 15, it focuses on the goat chosen for the Lord because that goat gets slaughtered as well for the people. 
same thing. The people's sins are confessed on the, the goat, the, the hands are on it, and, and then it's slaughtered. And so far this is already pretty messy. It's pretty costly. You know, these animals' lives are being taken. But it pauses there just after these animals have been slaughtered. And before we go any further with these animals, God then commands that before anything else in verse 12, that Aaron has to take a pan full of coals from the altar and bring that along with a bunch of incense and bring those inside the veil. Which you'll notice on the screen, the veil is into the most holy place. This, this is big. This is it. Okay, so now he's going to enter in inside the veil into the holy of holies, making sure that this cloud of incense covers the mercy seat, covers the lid of this ark where the Lord will appear. And it says that he has to do this because otherwise at the end of verse 13 it says he will, he will die if he doesn't do this. Okay, so he's in there, but the only way he can be in there is if the place where God appears is covered in a cloud of, of incense. He's, he's inside the veil, but he kind of needs some other type of veil between him and the Lord at this point. Okay, so after the incense is set up, there's a cloud, there's, there's something incense there on the mercy seat. We return back to the sin offerings and we return back to the bull and the goat that were slaughtered. So he goes back out again and it says in verse 14, it continues that he's to take some of the bull's blood and then go back inside the veil again and, and sprinkle the bull's blood using his finger against the east side of the mercy seat, which hopefully the diagram makes that clear, is the side that he just came in to the mercy seat, to sprinkle that with the blood and then sprinkle it around the mercy seat as well. Seven times, the place where he just entered with the incense that needs the blood of the bull sprinkled on it. And then we read in verse 15, he's to do the same thing with the goat's blood. He takes the blood again, sprinkle it against the mercy seat and in front of it. And we find out in verse 16 what all this is doing. What's the point of this? And it says that it's purifying the most holy place for all their sins because of their impurities and rebellious acts. Now, this blood is needed for the impurities of Aaron and all the people of Israel for their rebellious acts and their impurities. And you can see how badly sin corrupts things because no one else is, is ever going into that space. It's just Aaron. He's, he's just been in there and now it needs to be cleansed, but it, it, it's not just the fact that Aaron's gone in there himself physically because it says that he also needs to sprinkle this blood all around the all around the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. In verse 16, he will do the same for the tent of meeting that remains among them because it's surrounded by their impurities. 
His blood is needed to purify because sin is just so corrupting. Sin, which brings with it death, has to be dealt with by this blood, which is life. It's needed to be purified because without it, the most holy place is defiled by their sins. The, the tent of meeting is defiled by their sins. This is, it's, it's contamination that spreads and makes everything impure. It's worse than COVID and, and air particle droplets and contact surfaces. It's something that can't be stopped with masks and physical distancing. It spreads and goes everywhere, even the very tent where they're to meet with God, where he would dwell with them. And then in verse 18, Aaron next needs to go to the altar before the Lord, the one that they offer sacrifices to the Lord on, and he has to make atonement for it too with this blood from the bull and the goat. And as we read about this procedure, all this procedure and ceremony, all these instructions in here, we can easily miss what a, a shocking experience this must have been for those early Israelites and what it must have been for their senses as they saw and heard and smelled all these things going on around them, watching the high priest dressing like a normal temple priest, their hope, their intermediate, their, their intercessor for them dressing humbly and then taking blood into the holy place to atone for his sin and for the sin of the people and splashing it around the whole tent of meeting, watching and hearing the animals that were being slaughtered, the, the blood that's being dripped and splashed everywhere that would just smell and stink like blood. It's so obvious how bad sin is. And I don't know about you, but when I reflect on all of this, it, it makes me ashamed of how flippant I can be about my sin. Just how vile it is to God and how it contaminates and corrupts. And no doubt as the people of Israel are watching all of this take place, there'd be so much cause for humility, for, for grief of sin. And yet we also see the grace of a loving God through all of this because when Aaron's finished with all this sprinkling and purifying, he's to return back to that second goat from earlier, the one that wasn't slaughtered, the one that was picked out that wasn't for the Lord. And we read in verse 21 that he'll lay his hands on that goat's head and confess all the sins of the people onto that one. Same deal, he'll lean, but this time the goat will be sent away into the wilderness where it will carry all the wrongdoings to a desolate land. Now this goat, as I said earlier, is, is spoken about, about as the goat for Azazel. And you might think, what does the term Azazel mean? Uh, there's two main views and we'll quickly uh, talk about them, but then we'll get to the main point. The, the first option that some suggest is that Azazel is a demon or Satan himself. And in one sense, that makes sense. That's understandable. This goat is meant to have all the wrongdoings of the Israelites confessed onto it. 
and they put it all on this goat who then carries it off and the goat's going further geographically away from this, this tent of meeting where God will be, going away from God closer to Satan and evil. And that kind of makes sense. And also it's going into the wilderness, which the Bible describes as being the realm of evil spirits quite often. And so that makes sense. Um, and, and that could be one interpretation. I, I think it'd seem odd that God wants them to, to set aside some kind of offering to something not himself. When in chapter 17, it says, uh, that sacrifices to be brought to the Lord alone, but it, it makes sense. In, in the passage. The second option is that Azazel just means a rocky precipice, like a like a rocky cliff. Um, and this supports the kind of the translation that the wilderness spoken of here is the cut off land, like a deep valley. And this is how the Jews interpreted the wilderness to mean in their book called the Mishnah, uh, which has Leviticus and exegetical interpretation. Uh, it said that the goat was to be led to a steep cliff and then pushed off backwards. Uh, so it probably died. Um, but this would support the idea that the goat should not ever be able to make its way back to the camp where the Israelites were. And either way, which, whichever argument you think is strongest, the, the point of this and the point of this whole thing here is that the sins are placed on the goat and the sins with this goat are to be taken away and removed, never to return. Whether they go to Satan or a demon or whether they go off a cliff, they don't come back. They've been dealt with. They're taken away from God and from his presence. That's the point. The point for the people of Israel is that after having seen the lifeblood of these animals that have been slaughtered for their sin and then being taken into the most holy place because of their sin, being sprinkled on the tent of meeting because of their sin, being sprinkled on the altar because of their sin, when they see how clearly vile their sin is to God, how it contaminates and, and corrupts and how costly it is to atone for and how it's right to grieve, God provides this goat to give them confidence that their sins have been removed, that they can't come back and that they've been dealt with. The people's consciences can be clear. And God says in verse 30, that atonement will be made for you on this day to cleanse you, and you will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. God provided this goat to show the people that their sins have nothing to do with them anymore. And this is how the psalmist can say in Psalm 103, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What a gracious God. And so after this goat has been sent off, we read about the burnt offerings mentioned at the beginning. There's some, some cleansing and cleaning because of how bad sin is, that even the tools and the animals that were used for purification need to be disposed of properly, that even the people who touched them need to cleanse. 
And then the chapter finishes in verse 34 to say that this will happen once a year as a permanent statute. You have to do it again next time. Your consciousness is maybe clear. The goat's been sent away. You've got to do it again next year. And then that's the end of it. At the very end, it says, and this was all done as the Lord commanded Moses. So this is the moment of triumph when Aaron gets into the most holy place. This is it. This is what it was all about. Remember in verse 3, this is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place, this this tabernacle that's meant to resemble the garden. This is, this is it, this key moment. He goes in there in verse 13 when he enters with the cloud of incense covering the mercy seat or he'll die. He goes in there in verse 14 with the cloud of incense still there and sprinkling blood, the bull's blood, to atone for his sin. And he goes in there in verse 15 with the cloud of incense still there to sprinkle the goat's blood. And is that it? This is the return to the garden. This is our return to the garden. Leviticus 16 doesn't bring us back to the garden. It gets one person into the Holy of Holies, but but just one. And just once a year with sacrifices of blood and burnt offerings that need to be repeated. Protected as he goes in there by smoke so that he doesn't die, shielded with some kind of veil, kind of in the presence, just momentarily as well. He's got to leave. He can't stay in there. He's got to go and come back again, do it all next year. And that's not to diminish all of this. This isn't some kind of dog and pony show. It's, you know, just a, a fake holy day. I mean, this is it. This this is how presence is made possible. This is uh, this is what Jews to this day still celebrate as Yom Kippur. This is how presence is made possible. And it's how presence is made possible for us because this is what we mean when we talk about Jesus. This is the adult layer to our kids' movie that gives us so much more depth and understanding when we consider Jesus. This is how presence is made possible for us because when we say that Jesus is our perfect mediator, we mean this. When we say that Jesus has paid for our sins and that he's our atoning sacrifice, we mean this. Leviticus 16 is how presence is possible for one person, for Aaron. But let's take a look at how Jesus is better. And we read this in Hebrews as we see the difference that Jesus makes. You might want to write down these references as sort of uh, power through these things. But uh, we read first in Hebrews 7 verse 26 that Aaron was a sinner who had to make atonement for himself before making atonement for the people. But Jesus was already pure and sinless. 
Aaron did his best. He did what was required of him to make himself clean, but only Jesus is perfectly sinless and pure. In Hebrews 9, verses 6 to 14, and Hebrews 10, 1 to 18, we read that Aaron had to repeat these sacrifices time and time again, and they were just symbols for a later age when there'd be a permanent and eternal solution through Jesus, where there'd be one sacrifice only, God himself, that was worthy enough sacrifice to result in permanent forgiveness for sin. And in Hebrews 9, 7, we read Aaron's rituals get him into the earthly sanctuary, but Hebrews 9, 24 says Jesus gets into the heavenly sanctuary. And then in Hebrews 10, 19, we read Jesus brings us with him into the heavenly sanctuary, into the presence of God. The Day of Atonement is how presence is made possible. It's it's just that it's fulfilled by Jesus. It's fulfilled through his atonement for us and for our sins. Jesus gets all of us into the presence of God fully and forever covered by his blood. Now, this is amazing. This is our reality now for those in Christ, that Jesus brings all of us into the presence of God, fully and forever covered by the blood of Jesus, not to be repeated every year, but just every second, every minute, every day. But we ought to be careful not to simply dismiss Leviticus 16, this side of Christ, because these things are still true and they're still necessary. It's still true that God's presence is perilous to sinful people. You you can't just come as you like. You know, we're not called to tell people to just live your best life. You do you. Because without Jesus, then those around us who meet with the Lord face to face, they will perish. They will perish in his presence. And so it's still true that presence of God is perilous to sinful people. You can't just come as you like. But what we see is that in Jesus, he has become for us our perfect and complete atoning sacrifice to fulfill all of these things, so that you can come as you are. There's no more rituals to perform. Jesus has done them already. There's no further deeds to be done. Jesus has done it. There's no further cleansing necessary, no other atonement to be made. Jesus has done all of it so that we can have this incredible privilege of being able to freely draw near to God, already cleansed by his blood without any veil or incense we can come before the throne of god with full confidence that we will not be perishing before in the presence of a holy god all your sin has been dealt with in jesus all of it and just like we see in this goat that's sent off into the wilderness it's got nothing to do with us anymore 
As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin from us permanently, forever, in Jesus. And I think that's beautiful. I think that's mind-blowing that given all that we've seen, that we can now live our lives with God dwelling in us by his Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done. Because we see here this is how presence is made possible through blood and through atonement and sacrifice. And this is how Jesus fulfilled it so completely that presence is made possible for us. Let me finish by reading from Hebrews 9, just from verse 11 to tie this all together. You might want to write that down and and read it later on and reflect on it. Hebrews 9 verse 11, it says, So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which is not made by human hands. It's not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. I said before, my prayer is that we would grow in our love and understanding of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. pray that's true for you. Why don't you join with me as we pray together to God? Father God, thank you so much that while we are sinners and far off and had no way of drawing near to you, you showed your grace and your love and your mercy by providing a way for us to be in your presence. We thank you so much for, for Jesus and how much better he is, how much more perfect he is. And, Father, I pray that you'll help each and every one of us to love and treasure Christ above all else with gratitude and living for him each, each and every one of our days in light of all that he's done for us to make it possible for your presence to be near for us. Father, we pray that that would be true, that we would take this message out into the world, that all those who are perishing would come to hear this saving message as well, that Jesus has paid once for all. We pray this in his name. Amen.